Hi everyone. I just have a couple of announcements before we get started. First, the Chattanooga Civics website is now live at chattanoogacivics.com. I've compiled links to all the candidate websites in one place, and I'll be updating it regularly with links to the interviews. I also have links to some more general information like how to find which council district you're in. If there's any other information you think would be helpful for me to include, please don't hesitate to reach out. Second, my wife Katie has graciously agreed to host the new Chattanooga Civics Instagram page. So you can now follow us there, at ChatCivics, that's chat with two Ts. Lastly, this podcast is mainly a labor of love. It's a public service in the hopes that I can make Chattanooga a stronger, more engaged community. But it does come with expenses. I've spent about $150 on some bare-bones recording equipment, and I would really like to upgrade that if the podcast keeps growing. So if you can spare even just a few dollars, I'd really appreciate it. I would like to thank Brandon for being my first and only donor so far. You're great. I'm currently set up on PayPal, but if another app works better for you, I'm happy to set it up. Just shoot me an email. And if you can't donate, I completely understand. Times are tough right now. But if you can share this show with your friends and get more Chattanoogans educated about local politics, that would be amazing. And if you're part of a local business that would like to sponsor the show, I would love to hear from you. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. On March 2nd, the city of Chattanooga will hold elections for city council and mayor. I recently sat down with Thomas Lee to discuss his campaign for city council, District 2. I'm here with Thomas Lee, who is running for city council in District 2. And Thomas, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in local politics. Well, this is my first uh, potential foray into local politics. Prior to this, I have had no political experience. I am a longtime Chattanooga resident, having moved here in 1992. I am a small business owner and have a company we started 13 years ago here in town called Goodhue. We make socks, high-end socks, all manufactured in America, which we sell to about 1,400 retail stores across the country, and also in probably 15 to 20 foreign countries as well. And I have watched uh, the political scene here in Chattanooga over my uh, lifetime of living here, and have watched what uh, feels like uh, perhaps not the sort of forward progress in recent years that that I certainly feel like we should have, given all of the exciting things happening in Chattanooga in general. And I just felt like that rather than sit on the sideline and complain about the way things are working, it might be appropriate to uh, step up and try to take a role in the process with an eye toward trying to make things work better. 
And that is how I ended up in this race. Good. So if you could tell us a little bit more about your district, what, uh, what are you trying to accomplish in your district? What are the strengths and weaknesses that you see? Well, uh, District 2 is the area basically uh, North Chattanooga starting at the river and running up uh, between the river and Red Bank all the way to Highway 153. And we have got, uh, in general, uh, a lot of good things going on in District 2. Uh, but at the same time, we're citizens of Chattanooga, and we face uh, the same challenges that uh, many others face. Uh, obviously, our infrastructure here in Chattanooga in recent years has been allowed to deteriorate. We haven't put the resources into maintaining our roads, bridges, and sewers like we need to. Uh, the, the wastewater treatment uh, authority is I think most people who follow the news uh, are aware of is uh, grossly underfunded and we have massive amounts of deferred maintenance that's going to have to be addressed over coming years uh, which is going to be something that that affects everyone in fact I was out earlier this week knocking on doors in my district and the sewer system for certain areas of district 2 is of significant concern because it's undersized uh, and it's constantly flooding and, uh, and dumping material into the streets and yards of citizens uh, and they have no ability to do anything other than watch it and complain about it. Uh, and they feel like largely that the city is not paying attention to their concerns and doing anything to really mitigate uh, what I think all of us would agree is, is a uh, really unsatisfactory state of affairs. Mm -hmm. So if you were elected to city council, what, what would you be proposing in order to mitigate these, these problems that you're having? Budget changes or, you know, special programs? Well, you know, if, if there's one thing I seem to hear from a lot of folks that I talk to, uh, not just in District 2, but really around the city of Chattanooga, it's a clarion call that our infrastructure is important. And in large measure, it really boils down to priorities. Uh, you either make the maintenance of the infrastructure a priority by making sure that the adequate funding uh, needed to repair bridges, to pave roads, and to upgrade and maintain the sewer is there. And uh, you know that to me is one of the most basic services that city government provides and something mm -hmm. that absolutely has to be a priority when setting uh, the budget. So that's a good lead in. I, I want to ask a couple questions about the budget in particular. Uh, the mayor is in charge of leading that budget writing process and in its current form the Burke administration is doing this like six month long process. They start in November with public interest meetings and they, they write this budget out over six months before it's presented to the council in June. And historically, the city council has seemed, uh, they have the authority to reject or amend the, the mayor's budget proposal. But it seems lately that the city council has been reluctant to use that authority uh, and has deferred to the process in place. And there's good arguments for and against that. So I'm just wondering, where do you stand on that? And do you think the city council should use more of its authority over the budget or do you think it should defer to that public input process? Yeah, 
So in the city of Chattanooga, we have a strong mayor form of government, uh, which basically means that the mayor is largely establishing the priorities and the council exists uh, to provide uh, consent or if they object to something, they can obviously stop it in certain respects. Uh, under the current mayoral administration, the mayor has chosen to largely set the priorities and control the budget process and has not really, in my opinion, uh, done a fair job of seeking input from the council with regard to what the priorities ought to be and, uh, and really asking for help and, and trying to define where the tax dollars should be spent. I think all of us would probably agree that the basic idea behind the Burke administration uh, budgeting for outcomes uh, conceptually makes good sense, but in the way that it has been executed, I don't think it makes much sense at all. Uh, it, it ends up creating a lot of silos where money ends up getting trapped uh, within departments uh, and, and it becomes more, it seems to me, a fight over how those dollars are gonna be spent within the departments, rather than it being a more holistic approach to deciding what the city's priorities are and where the money should be spent. Uh, I've had conversations and, and are continuing to have conversations with a number of the mayoral candidates, uh, and I continue reaching out to more of them constantly with the thought process of trying to engage them in the idea of being much more proactive and involving the city council in that process with, with the thought process there being the council members are talking to a lot more citizens and the mayoral uh, regime is, is capable of uh, really uh, seeking input from. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, to me, the smart process would involve a much more robust participation by the city council in uh, deciding what those budget priorities should be and, and where money needs to be directed. Right. Diving in a little bit to kind of particular issues within the budget, this summer especially, there's been a lot of conversations both nationally and locally about policing. Um, and there are lots of different suggestions about how we improve policing or whether or not it even needs to be improved. And these suggestions are all over the place. It's impossible to make everybody happy here because the suggestions run the gamut from do we defund the police or do we increase funding to the police so that they can get better training and everything in between. So I'm wondering where do you stand on this issue and how are you going to make sure that all, all of Chattanooga citizens feel safe? Yeah. Uh you pointed out, Nathan, that it's an extraordinarily complex topic. And I think a lot of times people try to roll the entire discussion up into uh, one big ball and then uh, try to unpack everything from there. And to me, you're, you're going to ultimately run into all sorts of problems if you approach it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. I think it's a multifaceted uh, discussion, and I think each of the major points really needs to be unpacked and addressed by itself. So uh, I would start with, uh, you know, what is the function of a police department? And I think most people feel like that the primary function of police is to provide 
order and safety for the population of the city. And I have been uh, out in the community talking to folks. In fact, I had a conversation uh, not too long ago with a police officer on the beat over in the Brainerd area, and we were just discussing this topic, which I thought was really important because I was curious to hear uh, what is the word on the on the street from the policemen who are actually in the neighborhoods and, and visiting mm -hmm. with the citizens. Mm -hmm. And his his comments, I think, were very insightful. Uh, one of the things that he said to me was uh, when I, I posed the, the question to him, do you think that most citizens in this area of town that you're uh, policing, would they prefer less police in the neighborhood or more police in the neighborhood with regards to uh, patrols and that sort of thing? And he said, I think unequivocally, almost every one of them would say, more police would be better. Uh, with the idea clearly being there that with police presence, uh, people feel safer, crime rates are reduced, and uh, in general safety is, is enhanced. Now, uh, we have to sort of separate that from some of the other concerns, which are very important. Uh, there, there is no question that uh, in places there is misbehavior uh, with some policemen. Uh, I don't think it's a broad-based problem, and I certainly haven't seen a lot of evidence of it here, but I think there need to be uh, good systems in place for oversight of the police. I feel like that uh, equipping our police with, uh, with state-of-the-art equipment in terms of body cameras and things like that, where it creates a situation of accountability and also in a certain sense, sort of uh, really a, a, a independent witness to the interaction between police and citizens, right? So I think mm -hmm. most of us, if we know we're being audio and videotaped, are gonna try our best to put our best foot forward. And at the same time, uh, we have the accountability, but also the protection of knowing that the nature of that interaction is being recorded. Uh, and to me, that provides benefits for both the citizen and for the police officer. So to me, in a, in a police budget, uh, and it's on my website, uh, I think we need to make sure we're investing in, in uh, up-to-date equipment uh, for that sort of, uh, of, of monitoring. Uh, going back to my visit with the policeman, uh, he indicated that we have really not uh, kept up with regard to the equipment that we're funding our police with, that, that the technology we're using really is behind the times. So to me, that's something we need to think about. Uh, one of the other topics, moving on to sort of a third sub-segment of this, but, but tying back to number two, uh, pertaining to the issue of accountability is oversight of the police department and an independent uh, entity to review police action and, and mm -hmm. to make sure that there is not uh, systematic uh, covering up of, of bad behavior and that sort of thing. And, and I think you know, obviously police leadership starts, uh, starts out and if, if you feel like there is credibility and honesty coming out of the folks that lead the police department, uh, that's a, a, an important first step. Uh, but there are always going to be circumstances uh, where things happen that I think need to, to be reviewed. 
We have got a system in place now that has been put in place. Uh, so, some folks don't think that it has the power or is structured in a manner to achieve the, the ends the way they perceive it. But I've looked it over. I'm not an expert on it, but I would say to me, it's a good first step. I don't think it necessarily is perfect, but I think it's a foundation on which we can uh, continue to build and try to end up with, with an oversight uh, arm uh, that, that is both uh, structured to achieve the desired results, but at the same time uh, uh, is not uh, created with some you know, unnecessary and hard to control uh, extra uh, systemic powers. Uh, so just to clarify for our, our listeners, I, I believe you're talking about the police oversight board that was just passed in the most recent election. Is that right? Uh, it's been in place for a year to a year and a half now, I, I, and I'm not exactly sure what the name of it is. I'm not referring to the one that the citizen group was attempting to get on right. to this recent ballot. Mm -hmm. And this is the one that it's, it's an advisory council that reviews police misconduct and then makes suggestions to the police chief. That's, That's correct. You're referring to. Okay. That Just is the one sure we're all on the same page. Yep. Yes. Great. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's okay. I, I was, uh, that was, uh, that was it for my point. You know, okay. th there's certain, there's certainly other or other aspects uh, to the, to the topic of policing that I think are, are uh, part and parcel to this discussion. And we could mm -hmm. probably actually spend the entire time talking about <laughs> nothing but this topic. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I think we, it sort of boils down to really just a couple of essential points. I think people want to feel safe. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that uh, we, we need, uh, and there is one other important point, uh, and that is um, we need to make sure that we make being a policeman attractive from the point of view of being able to recruit the types of folks that are going to take this job seriously and, uh, and do it in a manner uh, befitting the way that we all feel like uh, it needs to be done. And that involves recruiting quality individuals and particularly making sure that we're able to recruit in minority communities, because I think that's an important part of, of making sure that the police force functioning in the neighborhood uh, looks and feels in many respects like the citizens that they're trying to work with. That, to me, that's important. Uh, I know that under the current uh, situation, and I go back to the conversation that I was uh, sharing just a minute ago with the police officer in the Brainerd area, he was telling me that it's very difficult for the Chattanooga Police Department to recruit minority candidates. And, you know, part of that is the stigma in, in minority communities uh, about what the significance of being a policeman is. I don't have all the answers to how we make it more attractive and, and sort of bridge that gap, but it seems to me that if there is mutual respect uh, created and policing is done in, in, a, in a manner uh, in the neighborhoods where people perceive it to be fair and objective and supporting the safety of the community, uh, over time that trust can be built up and uh, I think that minority recruiting effort becomes more, uh, I guess, easier is the right word, more doable. 
I want to move on to kind of a tangential point, uh, another public safety issue where we're having a similar issue in recruiting and retention is the fire department. They all work on salary. And if you divide their salary by the number of hours they work, most of them are working more like 50 to 60 hours a week rather than a standard 40. And if you take their hourly rate, it comes out to about $10 an hour, which is below federal poverty wages. Um, the police chief, or sorry, the fire chief has said that it would require about another three and a half million to get fire pay to where he thinks it needs to be to get better retention because we're losing firemen to Memphis and Nashville and Atlanta. Um, is that something you would support? And is that something you would, you know, kind of make a point to support when the budget comes for, for city council approval? Or are you going to leave that up to the mayor? Uh, you know, I'm not an expert on fire pay, although I will say the other day, the, the, uh, I met with the head of the fire union and he provided me some information on pay scales. I, I have gone through all of that. Uh, the difficult part of trying to, to really have an informed opinion on this is you have to understand the combination of, of not only the base pay, but also the medical benefits and the retirement mm -hmm. program and what the comprehensive elements of all of that are, because right. it's not just a simple uh, situation where it's purely about dollars per hour. Uh, it's, it's a much more robust discussion than that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can't really comment uh, on that because I don't have enough information to actually have an informed opinion yet. But what I will say is, there is no question that we need a quality fire department and it needs to be structured in a manner to make sure that, that the things that we need to do and prioritize here uh, can be done with the staffing that we've got. And uh, you know, if a review of, of fire pay indicates that we're not competitive with surrounding areas and have difficulty recruiting and, and uh, and maintaining uh, folks, then that to me is something that we need to look really closely at and, and consider doing something to address. Mm -hmm. Moving on, Chattanooga has been hit very hard by COVID the past few months. And hopefully with the vaccine starting to roll out by the time the new city council takes seats in April, hopefully the disease itself won't actually be as much of an issue anymore, but there is going to be some economic fallout. We're already seeing small businesses struggling. We're seeing people struggling to pay rent, either having their hours cut or losing their jobs. And so I'm wondering, what are your plans? What do you think the city council can do to mitigate the economic impact from COVID? So um, as a small business owner, I can certainly speak to the potential devastation that businesses face. Back in March and April, our business was uh, down probably 80 to 85 percent. We sell lots and lots of small retail stores who are independent, mm -hmm. and they really have been struggling. Uh, yeah. Our business is still off significantly uh, in our traditional wholesale uh, business where we sell brick and mortar. Uh, those stores are you know, they're hunkered down and they're just trying to survive. And we have some of them here in Chattanooga that we work with, uh, as well as across the rest of the country. But that picture is largely the same. And it's, it's uh, it, you know, it's very, very, uh, it's disheartening. 
the the federal stimulus that we've had, which is where largely the money that has trickled down to Tennessee and then ultimately to Chattanooga uh, has come from, has been distributed in a manner that I think uh, if sane people were sitting down and, and sort of trying to define priorities, this wouldn't be the way you would do it. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is, uh, and it's done. You know, we, we've had stimulus checks we've sent out to people uh, on the federal level who never lost their jobs and never missed a day. Uh, and then we've had others who have been incredibly impacted and have lost their jobs and have been trying to find new jobs, which are scarce. Uh, there has been a, a bit of a recovery. It's not been uh, nearly as robust as we'd hoped, but it's pretty obvious given the continuing challenges with COVID that we've got that, that you know, it's, it's going to still be another, in my opinion, six months before it really gets much better. So uh, we, we, we have not been good stewards of, of making sure that the people who need it the most are getting, you know, most, if not all of the aid, we've been sprinkling it around uh, all over the place. Chattanooga has received some aid. Uh, the, couple of million dollars that they received most recently. I was reading in the paper a week or so ago. Uh, part of that was used for funding bonuses for city employees and then the residual smaller amount was doled out to, uh, to entities around town who were trying to provide support to uh, to struggling families. But if you look at the total amount of dollars that that represents and think about the magnitude of the need, it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, you know, impact to city, county, and state budgets because uh, sales tax dollars are down and, and other things. So there has been an impact on money coming in. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to sort of figure out how what the city's role is in trying to deal with a COVID relief situation because there's not really lots and lots of money lying around that's sort mm-hmm. of targeted for, for these sorts of things, nor does the city have a terribly good infrastructure for distributing money to people in need. And that's why with what we have received, uh, they've they've tried to direct that through organizations that they have relationships with who at least are you know close enough to be able to try to help but honestly uh it's it's a safety net with lots of holes in it and Mm -hmm. is not working all that well i I don't know exactly what the best solution is uh because the the problem is so widespread and so complicated uh in the city really just you know, it has limited sorts of uh, resources to even figure out how, how to address it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say if we could come up with creative ways to get money to the folks that need it most to stave off people losing their homes and uh, getting their power shut off, uh, to me, those would be things that could be reasonably accomplished and and would not be you know, punitive to one group over another and could potentially make a huge difference for some individuals and families. Mm-hmm. I want to shift gears to talk about our 
outdoor resources. Chattanooga is becoming an outdoor destination. We've been named number one city by Outdoor Magazine two years in the last decade or so. What are your thoughts on that new reputation? How do we manage it in terms of managing the growth that comes with it, but also how do we take advantage of it and use it to improve our city? Well, there's no question Chattanooga's got some of the, the best uh, natural resources of any city in the country. Uh, you, can, you can leave downtown Chattanooga and within just mere minutes be at some of the, the best rock climbing, some of the best hiking. Uh, we've got the river that runs right through the center of the city. We've got uh, hang gliding you name an outdoor activity and Chattanooga can deliver it uh, with an incredible quality experience. And I think that uh, that, that uh, natural resource has been really a, a great point of growth for our city. It's brought tremendous amounts of tourism into Chattanooga. And I think at the same time, it's also probably been a main reason we've seen uh, reasonably significant population growth. Uh, so those things are all good. You know, the more visitors we have, the more, uh, the more, uh, how do I put this the best way? The more sort of destination, uh, wonderful, uh, experiences we can deliver, whether it's things like the Hunter Museum and the Aquarium and other world-class, uh, institutions like that, that we're largely able to afford because we have tourists. Uh, or uh, all of the outdoor activities uh, where you can rent paddle boards and uh, scooters and all sorts of other wonderful things or go fly a, a uh, 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 kite off of a mountain, <laughs> so to speak, uh, hang gliding. Uh, you know, those are great things. Uh, to your point, it, it, the growth has certainly stressed uh, some assets of the city from the perspective of, you know, housing has become uh, a tight market. My wife is a realtor. Uh, homes for sale are very, very few at the moment and prices are skyrocketing. Uh, some of that has to do with Fed policy and a lot of other things well beyond the scope of what Chattanooga has any control over. Uh, in terms of money sloshing around in the market, but uh, it, it is leading to some problems uh, in terms of affordability of housing and, and that sort of thing. We've had a lot of new apartments and condos built to appeal to the young folks moving to our city, and that's been great. I have, I have some concern over whether we might be on the cusp in, in some of those market segments of being overbuilt uh but you know that's not really a problem ultimately of the cities that's a problem of the developers that are building the properties um but i think we can certainly continue to leverage the the chattanooga outdoors as as a resource uh continue to create wonderful experiences for the citizens of chattanooga using these whether it's the river park or uh outdoor events like uh Riverbend, which we've you know had for many many years down on the waterfront, or all of the many other experiences that that have uh, uh, been possible because of our wonderful location, uh, to continue to build the city into a wonderful place to live. So that leads me 
really well into my next question um, about development. Some people are worried about overdevelopment, especially in certain sectors, like you mentioned, is kind of the more luxury housing, the more downtown condos and that sort of thing. Uh, some people are worried we're not being stringent enough with things like quality control, traffic gener water quality control, traffic generation, uh, steep slopes is a big issue that's been jumping around the city council for at least a year now. Um, and then some are worried that the increased regulations of these, you know, stormwater quality and that kind of thing are keeping supply depressed with regards to demand. You know, the increased regulations are making it harder to build. The city council is particularly influential here because they control the zoning code of the city as well as a lot of these other regulations. So I was just wondering where you stand on that. What's your policy with regards to development? Sure. Well, let me make a general statement just about uh, doing business in Chattanooga. Uh, one of the most important aspects for any city uh, of being in a position to offer quality jobs for their citizens is recruiting new businesses uh, or helping new businesses get off the ground or working with existing businesses to try to find ways for them to grow. And if we don't work hard to make our environment in this city business friendly, then we're ultimately really hurting ourselves in terms of making the kind of jobs that our citizens want uh, available. And I hear from all sorts of business people, not just in the real estate arena, but in a wide variety of other areas, that the way that our city has been operating in recent years uh, stymies their ability to, to do the sorts of things that need to be done. I'm not saying that the city shouldn't have rules and regulations about how things should get done, but, but the consistent word I hear is that the way that the city administration is operating is uh, in many regards uh, sort of uh, haphazard. They don't establish a set of rules and then essentially ask, is the business or the developer looking to meet the rules? Uh, they, they essentially make them up as, in many regards as they go along. And that creates tremendous frustration and uh, I think depresses the ability of, of businesses to grow and, or to want to come here in the first place. So, if I were elected, one of the things I would certainly do is work very hard with the mayor's office to try to make sure that city administration is there and functioning uh, as if it, the customer service arm of the city to the citizens and to the uh, businesses of the community. That's what the function of our city government really is. It should be an uh, ex existence purely to make the quality of life uh, in the city better, not to serve as an end uh, in itself, which frankly, re recently, at least my sense is, there's been uh, a lot more of than, than one should expect. With regards to the question of real estate development, uh, again, this is another topic where there are a myriad of, of uh, different uh, points that kind of get rolled up into one. And uh, I think to deal with it intelligently, one needs to sort of break them down into uh, individual components. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, I guess what I would say is I go back to uh, the comment I made earlier, which is we need to set a, a set of rules uh, that everyone operates by that are designed with the intent of making sure that the property rights of the uh, individual are protected. And, and that's a two-way street. So uh, the owner of a piece of property who wants to build on it, I think should have the, the uh, ability to build on it. But at the same time in doing so, uh, they can't do things that create a detrimental situation for their neighbors. Uh, and, and, and that's really when you get to steep slopes and stormwater runoff in certain cases, and some of the, of the other points of contention, it really boils down to trying to make sure that there is a, a good balance between protecting the rights of all of the parties involved. And we, we need to make sure we establish a set of reasonable rules that are configured in, in a manner to make sure that everyone is given uh, reasonable protections and understands exactly how the game is gonna be played. So part of that kind of a downstream issue from development is gentrification. And Chattanooga has seen an influx of out-of-state out investors buying up properties and flipping them, you know, adding, you know, driving up property values, uh, driving up rents, that kind of thing. Demand for public housing and Section 8 vouchers is, you know, far exceeding supply. And I'm just wondering where, what do you think the city council can do to increase housing affordability and to ensure that long-term Chattanooga residents can not be pushed out of their neighborhoods and can remain in the city and call this place a home. Yeah. So Nathan, this is yet another one where there are multiple facets to this discussion that, that all really sort of impact on one another. Uh, I think there's no question, uh, uh, the city of Chattanooga, we need to try to find creative ways to incent people to build more uh, new low-income housing. And, uh, you know, we've got CNE uh, who, is, who is doing some of that. Uh, I don't necessarily think in most cases that it probably is a great idea for the city of Chattanooga to actually own the housing, but we certainly need to try to find creative ways to incent uh, developers and builders to create housing that uh, everyday working uh, folks can afford. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I mentioned earlier the Fed policy, and I know this seems like it's so far away from Chattanooga that it doesn't really have any impact on anything, but one of the reasons that, that homes are getting bought up uh, in giant batches uh, are the fact that there is tremendous amounts of liquidity floating around in the, in the market Mm -hmm. because the Fed has pumped all this uh, money into the economy. And you've got all these investors uh, with, uh, with bond yields on federal treasuries of essentially zero, who are looking for any sort of income producing asset they can find for income. And if you look at pools of houses, even if they're in low income neighborhoods, if they can be bought at a reasonable price, they create a uh, steady return that is very attractive. Mm -hmm. I don't think that having outside entities buying up big chunks of houses in our neighborhoods is really good for our neighborhoods. Uh, my business is located over in East Chattanooga, 
And I had a meeting about uh, six or eight months ago with the folks at the Glass Street Collective, and they've got a map on the wall over there. I think their stat they gave me was around 40% of the homes in this community over here where my business is located are owned by uh, uh, renters. They're not owned by the occupants. And in a lot of cases, those renters are not even in the city of Chattanooga. Right. So they have no interest whatsoever in maintaining the housing stock in a way that a homeowner would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, not, not that a renter is not going to take care of a piece of property in terms of mowing the grass and that sort of thing. But when it comes to major repairs like re-roofing the house and painting it when it needs to be painted and the sort of high dollar maintenance items, uh, there are very few renters that, that are going to sign a lease where they're responsible for that. And so consequently, uh, it leads to deterioration in the quality of housing in the neighborhood and, and the feeling of neighborhood ownership and the, the really sort of uh, self-reinforcing aspects of neighborhood that are important. I don't know what we can do to reverse it on the local level, but I do know that on a federal level, there are a lot of things that could be done that, uh, that are leading to much of this problem. Now, whether we have the courage to do those sorts of things, uh, I don't know. But back to your point, uh, if we can find ways of incenting developers to want to build affordable houses with the understanding that, uh, you know, they may not necessarily uh, look like uh, single family housing or or that uh, kind of an arrangement all the time. But at the same time, uh, if they're owned by someone locally where the quality of the construction is, is decent, where the property maintenance is good, to me, those are very, very uh, positive things for our community and something that I think the city uh, should be trying to figure out. And then once again, move into another issue that in a lot of ways is kind of downstream, further downstream from development and gentrification is then homelessness. Um, especially with COVID-19, people losing their jobs, people being evicted, that sort of thing. Uh, As these protections that have been instituted for evictions run out, we may see an increase in homelessness. What do you think the city council can do to improve outcomes for homelessness, both for people who are already homeless and for people who are, you know, housing insecure, I think is the term where, you know, they're right on the edge of maybe being on the street. Yeah. So the housing insecure piece, we talked a little bit about you know, what the city might try and do there in terms of creating some temporary programs uh, to help folks, particularly for the next six to eight months as we work our way out of uh, the COVID crisis. Uh, you know, I think there, there are what tar- targeted ways of trying to create uh, some programs where rent assistance and electricity assistance and that sort of things to keep people in their homes could be created and it wouldn't necessarily have to be super expensive in my opinion, because the number of people we're talking about here, uh, it's not tens of thousands, uh, but if you're the one that's on the edge, it feels you know like the weight of the world is on you. And uh, it, if we could do something to help those folks with targeted programs, I think that's great. With regards to the broader question of homelessness, uh, I, I think this is one thing that the current administration has worked pretty hard on, trying to build uh, the right sort of 
framework of assistance to help folks, whether it's families who are just falling through the net and need to be caught uh, and provided some opportunities uh, to get back on their feet. Um, I, I am familiar with many of the entities that are participating in that in the process, whether it's feeding the homeless and clothing them or providing winter, winter uh, uh, assistance or counseling services or you know intermediate homes and so forth. We've got a lot of entities around town who are pieces of, of this puzzle. Uh, I think as a city, uh, really the, the magic uh, trick is trying to figure out where to dedicate the resources and what is the oversight you need to put in place to try to make sure that those entities are funded at a level where they can do what they need to do to achieve success. Uh, while at the same time, you know, the, I don't know that the city would be particularly good at directly operating many of these things. Uh, we've got private functions that to me are much better equipped. But that doesn't mean that the city doesn't have a role in helping to fund those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think we need to look at all of those things closely and decide if there are priority places where we might need higher funding or maybe others that aren't working where we ought to be redirecting those resources to, to things that are more effective. I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about transportation. And this is another one of those kind of multifaceted issues Some people are of the opinion that as an outdoor oriented city, we should be putting more focus on building kind of a multimodal infrastructure for bike lanes, sidewalks, people to walk, bike, ride, um, where they want to go. There's other people who think that our current bike lanes are kind of a waste of space and that we're spending too much money on them. And then another aspect of this is public transportation, our bus system and how that's running and, you know, whether or not its service is adequate. Uh, so again, a very multifaceted issue. And I'm just wondering, generally speaking, what do you think the city council can do to improve transportation outcomes in the city? Yeah. So um, I think I would start by saying that if we're being realistic with ourselves, the vast majority of Chattanoogans are getting around in a car. And I don't really see that changing uh, dramatically in the near future. I like the idea of uh, trying to figure out how to move more people into uh, public transportation. But again, if you're looking at it realistically, uh, the, the cities that are able to provide quality networks cost-effectively, cost-effectively being very important, uh, of public transportation are cities with significantly higher density than Chattanooga has. And our situation here is made really in some regards even more sort of challenging by the fact that if you look at the pockets uh, of Chattanooga citizens who are likely users of public transportation, uh, they're in different pockets around the city. It's not uh, largely in a concentrated area, which would allow you to make public transportation effective. For, for, for public transportation to really work, you need to have good coverage, and that coverage has to have uh, frequency of, of uh, buses that make it 
reasonable for someone to, to use. So if you have a bus that's only coming once an hour on a particular route, uh, even though there's conceptually uh, a reason to have it, most people are going to figure out some other way because that frequency is so uh, infrequent that it just doesn't work for them. I mean, nobody can afford to stand around for 30 or 45 minutes. They, they're going to get an Uber or they're going to find, you know, a friend to give them a ride or they're going to ultimately figure out how to afford a car. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I love the idea of public transportation, but I think we've got, you know, inherent challenges in the city of Chattanooga to really uh, expand what we're doing uh, and do it cost effectively uh, and, and get ridership up. I, I occasionally ride the bus uh, and the bus goes not too far from my office over here, but for me to ride the bus from North Chattanooga uh, over to my office in East Chattanooga takes about an hour because I mm -hmm. have to get on the bus uh, at the bottom of the hill at my house. And sometimes it doesn't actually show up when it's supposed to and then ride it all the way downtown and change buses and then mm -hmm. ride all the way back out. And, um, and you, even then uh, it drops me off about a quarter of a mile from my office is the nearest stop. So I have to walk after that. So um, it, it, it's, it, it's something that on the surface is inviting and I think sounds great, but from a practical point of view uh, is very tough for us to figure out how to make it work. Uh, to the question of bike lanes and that sort of thing, again, I go back to, the, to my first point, and that is you have to be realistic about what most Chattanoogans are doing in the way of transportation. They're riding in their cars. I like the idea of reducing the amount of car usage. Uh, I think most people like the idea of that uh, from the point of view of eliminating pollution, reducing the number of cars on the road. Uh, reducing the traffic on the streets and all of those things, they're, they're very noteworthy goals. But at the same time, when you're an individual and you need to get somewhere and the city has put a road diet on the road that you travel and reduced it from two lanes down to one, and you now spend an extra 10 minutes in traffic because we've added a few parking spots and a spot or added a bike lane, uh, it gets very frustrating. And, and I think from uh, the point of view of the car driver looking over, and I think you were sort of alluding to this in your opening question, uh, looking for that theoretical bike rider who's supposed to be occupying that lane and wondering where, where is that person? <laughs> Do they exist or are we just hoping to, to drive them to ride their bike because we've made life so miserable in a car? So uh, I, I'm all in favor of the idea of trying to improve more environmentally friendly forms of transportation, but I think we have to balance that with the reality of, of the way uh, life in Chattanooga really is for most citizens. So I'll pull back to kind of a broader issue with the city the Chattanooga government still has a bit of a reputation as a good old boys club. And it's, it's changed a little bit in the past few years, but when I talk to people, that reputation is still very much alive. How will you make sure that all Chattanoogans are equitably represented and feel involved in the process of government? The, um, 
One of the toughest challenges uh, I think that, that our city faces in moving from where we are today to, to really uh, making the city an even better place to live is trying to figure out how to, to take the incredibly wonderful things that have happened in places like downtown and the south side and to a certain extent uh, near, near where I live in North Chattanooga that have had uh, this wonderful renaissance and wonderful improvement in quality of life uh, and figure out how to bring that dynamism to, uh, to other neighborhoods. And, you know, par part of this is you need a nucleus to create a, really a, a critical mass to build off of. And for the city of Chattanooga, that was downtown initially. And all of these other things have really sort of uh, slowly but steadily expanded out from there. Uh, I wonder if we need to perhaps look and pick some other areas of town uh, that aren't necessarily contiguous to the ones that are doing well and try to figure out what sorts of initiatives we can undertake uh, to really uh, try and build those areas up. But it goes back to the point of critical mass. You can go in and do all sorts of exciting things somewhere, but if there's not enough energy and, uh, and, and dynamism around it, uh, the efforts can fall flat on their face and the investment can be lost. So it's a very difficult process, but I think everyone uh, who really is realistic about the sort of city they wanna live in uh, should look at Chattanooga and say, you know what? I like the idea of everyone having this wonderful experience and feeling like they're part of, of this uh, sort of excitement and dynamism that Chattanooga has been experiencing. And we need to figure out how to bring uh, the neighborhoods uh, that have not been able to participate in that uh, into that discussion. Uh, I'm not quite sure what all the, the initiatives can be. I, I do know that in my opinion, one of our greatest uh, challenges facing us, and this is not really something the city council directly has any say on whatsoever, is the question of education. Uh, we have got to do a better job with our schools. We've got to improve the quality of our education. And uh, to me, that's, that, that largely is sort of a school by school uh, type of activity. My son, attended Normal Park, which 20 years ago was not a particularly good school, but you had a group of parents who decided that they were going to commit their time and their efforts to trying to turn it into something that was special. And with a lot of hard work and a lot of parent involvement and a lot of enthusiasm and a great set of teachers and administrators, they were able to take that school and turn it into something. And I think we can do that in a lot of other places around this town, uh, but it's gonna be a lot of hard work. It, it's not just a matter of throwing money at it. It's a matter of the nature of how you think about education and what you ask of the parents and what you ask of the kids and the mindset that the kids come to school with, uh, which they learn at home. And if, uh, if, if we as a community uh, make uh, education 
something that we all talk about as a priority and are all willing to work hard at and, and to put the uh, necessary funding behind, that is gonna create the workforce that's gonna draw the companies, that's gonna create the jobs, that's gonna help the struggling neighborhoods, uh, that's gonna expand the tax base, that's gonna make the city a better place to live. And we've got to figure that out. Uh, to me, that's foundational. So I'll, that's, to me, that's, I could go on for hours. Uh, I care a lot about education. And uh, to me, that's just something we absolutely have got to, to make a, a giant priority in, in our city and our county, I guess, technically. Before we go, I just want to make sure, uh, is there anything else that you are passionate about that you want your, your constituents to know that you're working on? before we go? Um, nothing in particular other than, uh, you know, people care about their city uh, and feel like they're a part of, the, of their city when they can participate in activities that draw people from all sorts of walks of the community. And I, just from a personal point of view, uh, and I don't even know that necessarily the city has a role in this, uh, directly, but I think uh, if we can find and build signature events and look for ways of, of uh, doing things that bring broad groups of the citizenry into uh, different events that people enjoy and uh, get to meet one another. And, uh, you know, I, I have some thoughts and ideas around some of these and and actually friends of the festival which i'm involved with is working on some new ideas and and has a, a group of of uh, neat uh programs currently um we've had obviously a struggle with uh covid mm -hmm. shutting down many of the of the big events but you know post covid we need to figure out how to create uh more dynamic and exciting events in chattanooga and many of those can be sponsored and, and uh, put on by, uh, by private groups. But I'd like to see more of that. Great, well, Thomas Lee running for District 2. I wanna thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on the show and have a good day. Good luck in March. Thank you very much, Nathan, for having me on. It's been uh, very, uh, very encouraging to have the chance to talk about uh, all of these different topics and I hope uh, Folks will get out and vote on March the 2nd. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ChatCivics or visit the website ChattanoogaCivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.